Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day and welcome to each and every one of you. Those of you that are here by choice and maybe those of you that are here by required opportunity. Either way, we are so grateful to have you here with us um, today. Mm. So Chris and I are, have just, yay, so excited to share together this morning. So before we jump into the passage, we wanted to share a little bit about ourselves. Um, so this year, we will have been married 21 years. I know. Yay. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. Um, we've actually been together for a total of 25. That's a quarter of a century. Mm. Is that right? I teach reading, yeah. so I think that's right, yeah. Um, we have three children. Uh, uh, our oldest son, Jackson, is 17. Our middle daughter, Marin, is 15. And then our youngest daughter, Faith, is 13. Pray so for us. Yeah. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the upper Midwest and grew up primarily in a Lutheran home. Um, Chris grew up here in Charlotte. And your parents came to, life, came to faith later in life yeah. um, and attended a Presbyterian church, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I am the oldest of four. I have three younger brothers. Chris has two older sisters, one of which is a twin. Who's here today? Who's here today? A twin. Yes. Please don't ask us if we're identical. Yes. That was the question that I got growing up my whole life, which I'm sure I have a complex I need to unpack yeah. at some point, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jen's an extrovert. Uh, if you've met Jen, um, you know, it's just really uh, her, she gets powered up by being around people. I actually am an introvert. Um, I, I really do love you, but, um, but it, for me, um, just do need those, those quiet times. And so we're wired up differently. Uh, maybe, maybe the biggest difference between us, Jen grew up a Yankees fan. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, I'm a Braves fan. Uh, <laughs> And so we, we were married in 2001. Uh, some of you will remember this. Um, uh, the Diamondbacks beat the Braves, went on to face the Yankees. And I think we did sleep in separate bedrooms one night in our first year of marriage because I was pulling for the Diamondbacks because I was bitter about them beating the Braves. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, as Jen mentioned, we've celebrated uh, 20 years last year, about to be 21. Uh, this was the card that Jen gave me on our 20th anniversary, just to get to know us a little bit more and a little bit about how it makes, uh, makes us tick, yes. And she's absolutely right. She's absolutely right. Uh, I had no idea that was going to show up on the, Sunday morning. We're celebrating the best decision I ever made by, by, by far. Uh, we've been walking through a, a passage of scripture um, as a church, uh, the book of Ephesians, and it's just been a wonderful gift to walk through this book together, this, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we'll be uh, today. We've got about a month left uh, in our series, our journey through the book together, and we we'll would invite you to come back to the, to the remainder of it. And today we're in Ephesians 5. We'll start in verse 21 uh, and continue on. And we're talking about the marriage relationship. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he gets to this part uh, of the book of Ephesians, he's writing, of course, about how we live. So we talked about how Ephesians is divided into two parts. If you remember this, the first part, first three chapters is really about what we believe. You know, who is Jesus? What's Jesus done for us? The difference that the gospel, the hope of Jesus makes for each and every one of us. And then when we get to chapter four, the second half of the book, uh, chapters four through six, are all about how we live this out, how we take what we uh, believe and live it out. We talk about, you know, how... Uh, belief has to become ethic. You know, it, it, it needs to be fleshed out in our relationships and how 
how we live. And so when we get to chapter five, Paul's talking about that. And he wants to talk about the marriage relationship and how important that is. Now, um, I wanna say this before uh, we read the passage and get a little bit further into it. I know today that not all of you are married. Right? I know that some of you have, have been married and are no longer married. Some of you long to be married. Uh, the, the reality is this, and I want, I want you to hear this very uh, clearly from us, that marriage is not a Christian prescription, meaning that the ultimate goal of a Christian is to get married. Uh, that, not at all. In fact, Jesus, of course, wasn't married but he talked a lot about marriage and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, the author of the book of Ephesians and almost half of the New Testament was not married. We don't know if Paul was married before or not. I think he was, but I, we don't know. Um, but he's not. And when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says that he's unmarried. The point is this, is that God has used married and unmarried people all throughout the scriptures, okay? But here's the deal. The marriage relationship, as we'll talk about today, is the primary metaphor that God uses to describe his relationship with people. And so again, even Jesus, who was unmarried, talks about marriage and describes himself that way. He says, I'm the bridegroom and you are the, as the church, the bride. And he talks about the context of marriage. And there's only three uh, really institutions that were given, uh, authored by God himself in the scriptures. Lots of different great institutions in society, but only three that were really authored uh, by God. Uh, marriage and family, the church, and the state. Those are the three things that got, find their authorship in God himself, right? They're not from us, they're from the Lord. And so today we wanna talk about one of those relationships. Next week, we're gonna talk about uh, parenting and we're gonna talk about uh, um, parents and children and we're gonna talk about workplace and get into other relationships, again, that God ordained and came up, to, come, came up with. But I want you to hear from me today. Whatever your relationship status is, this book was written for the whole church, so it wasn't when they got to certain passages, it was like, hey, who does this apply to? You can leave if, if, if this doesn't apply to you. No, they, they all heard the reading of this letter together. They all studied it together. And here's what we do when we come in, in, to a passage and we go, I'm not sure if this applies. And, and, and this is what I want you to hear from me today as we come to the passage and understand this. Is when we come to passages that we go, I'm not sure how this applies to me, and we, and we, but we submit ourselves to the word and we listen to it and we trust God for it as we're putting ourselves under the authority of the scriptures. And what we're saying is I am not as wise as the scriptures are. And I don't know exactly how this truth will apply to my life, but I trust God for it. And here's just a little grid. This doesn't just apply to today, but as we study God's word together as a church, which is part of what we do when we gather, here's just a grid I want you to think about. When, you, when we study God's word, sometimes the direct application will be so overt to you. And you'll say, you know, this is for me and it's for today. I mean, like literally, I can't wait to get out of here so I can go and put this into practice. I, I know exactly how I'm supposed to put this into practice today. Sometimes the application will be for you for tomorrow. You have no idea what's coming tomorrow. And so you have no idea how God's truth is gonna intersect your future. So sometimes the truth is for you, but for tomorrow. Sometimes, I just want you to think about this grid as we study God's word, not just today, but in the future. Sometimes it's through you today. So God has something to give to you so that you can faithfully share it with someone else today. And sometimes it's through you for tomorrow. And sometimes God has something that he wants to share through you uh, in the future. So I just wanna encourage you that all of God's word is useful. 
right? And so when we come to it, we trust him for it and the Holy Spirit to apply specifically to us, whether it's today, tomorrow, uh, whether it's through you today or tomorrow, that God's going to use his word in the way that he wishes. And so with that, let's jump into our passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And this passage was actually preached at our wedding all those years ago. So if you guys are able, would you please join me in standing as I read Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. The Apostle Paul says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The reading of God's word. So there's a lot in the, those verses, and we are going to, to, to talk through a lot of it, but I think probably the The main takeaway, like our bottom line, if if there's nothing else you hear from us today, we want you to walk away with this, that marriage is a race to the back of the line. Hmm. It's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, how can we serve and not be served? Yeah, all right, watch us on a tightrope here in this passage. (laughs) Uh, This passage, of course, has gotten a lot of headlines. Uh, the, there's an S word in here um, that is, is deeply offensive to many in our culture. And we don't, I'm just gonna name that up front and talk about it. Um, you know, it's really interesting, I do wanna say this, that when the gospel, you know, of course, the gospel now for 2,000 years has been uh, changing lives. Uh, when the gospel finds itself in a cultural container that is more rigid, it is progressive and it's liberating for people. So in the first century and mainly rigid cultures, the gospel was radically progressive mm-hmm. um, in its views and understanding of women, of family, of life. Uh, when the gospel finds itself in anything goes container, cultures, it feels very conservative and rigid and fundamentalist. And this, I do want to say this, okay, Um, that the gospel doesn't have its origins in the political left, and the gospel doesn't have its origins in the political right. The gospel is from above. 
and the gospel speaks to us, and the gospel should challenge us. And so if you go today, man, this, this agitates me, this passage, and it doesn't fit my worldview or understanding, part of what the gospel does is agitate us rightly. Mm-hmm. And it helps us to, to take a step back and to say, where, where am I getting my thoughts from, my understandings from? How am I understanding the scriptures? And am I trying to see the lens of life through a preconceived notion to where everything needs to submit to my views and understanding so the word of God is underneath me? Or am I coming to the scriptures and even difficult passages and saying, I don't understand it? Paul says it himself here, by the way, you want to circle verse 32. This is a mystery. There is mystery here. We live in a world that wants to understand everything. And there is holy mystery. In fact, people are not problems to be solved. They are holy mysteries to be discovered. And so even when we come to the marriage relationship, Paul says, here's what I can describe to you, but there's mystery here. And I'm talking about Christ and his church and how they interact with one another. So let's talk about the S word here. Let's talk about submission. Well, we need to remember before we get into the marriage relationship and then what's coming next is parents and children and workplace, okay, in the uh, next week. And Paul says all of these relationships are predicated, I want you to circle verse 21, Ephesians 5 verse 21, because all these relationships begin and orient themselves back to mutual submission to one another. Mm-hmm. Mutual submission. So if you grew up in a church culture that was, you know, more conservative and it was all about, um, you know, the husbands are the head of the wives and they should submit and they should do, you know, blah, 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 you've missed it. Mm-hmm. And here's how you've missed it. You've missed it because Jesus never asked his followers to submit to him. He never said, he never said, you have to follow me. You, I'm demanding your love. Jesus never did that. He invited people to follow him. He invited people to see that he was trustworthy. He, he invited people to experience his love. So when you look at verse 21, the, the beginning point of our relationships, and specifically today as we look at marriage, is mutual submission to one another. Even back in the uh, created order, when, when Eve is created from the rib of Adam, I think this is really interesting, it was from his side as a partner. It wasn't from a, a bone in the foot to be underneath him. It wasn't from his head to be over him. It was from his side to be a partner in his journey with him and to complete one another. If the song on the background of your marriage is anything you can do, I can do better, right? You're gonna miss it because actually you can't. God didn't design it that way. God designed us to to complete one another and it begins with mutual submission. And I want you to understand this too when we talk about the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship is the closest relationship on earth, biblically speaking, it's the closest relationship on earth to the type of relationship that God desires with every single person on the planet. In its love, in its trust, in its fidelity, it's meant to be a living picture to people about the hope of the gospel. And it begins, the context, Paul says, is mutual submission to one another. Let me just give a couple of verses for context here, because remember, the second half of the book of Ephesians, if you're just jumping in, you're going, wow, there's a lot of instruction here about how to live, but it begins with how to believe. Mm -hmm. And if we don't believe in Jesus, remember that what all of this is numbered by and, and, and ordered by is the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you go and read uh, chapter five, uh, it's all about being filled with the Spirit. And out of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Spirit, walking with Jesus, then am I able to interact rightly with other people? If my relationship with Jesus isn't right, 
nothing is going to be right. It's, going to, it's just going to all be off a little bit. That doesn't mean that people who don't follow Jesus can't have good relationships. God gives them grace for that too. But it means that as we walk closer to Jesus and we know more of his grace and we say yes to him, our, our relationships begin to sync up with one another. You may be interested to, uh, to learn in, in the context here, Paul begins uh, chapter four, verse one, by saying this. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I, listen to this word, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. So Paul is going to frame up who he's talking to here. He's talking to people who are Jesus followers. And he says, I'm begging you to match up your life with what you believe. And that's the pivot point for the book of Ephesians. As it turns from chapter three, what we believe, to chapter four, how we live, he says, I'm begging you to match up what's in your heart and the outside of what you say and how you live it out. And then as we get even closer to this passage today, we get to chapter five and he says, imitate God, verses one and two, therefore in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life, do you hear that? Live a life filled with what? With love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us, he offered himself for us as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. You say, Chris, well, what does this have to do with marriage? It has everything to do with marriage. If you don't know that you are a dearly loved child of God, then you'll never be able to live fully into the picture of what God desires for you in other relationships. If you're walking into every relationship, including the relationship saying, do you have what I'm looking for? You know, it's the, it's the old U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Do you have it? I need something from you. If I need something from anyone or anything that I can't find in Jesus, I'm gonna be wanting. And so Paul says it's in that context of, you're a dearly loved son and daughter of the Most High King. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and now you're walking and leading a, a, a life that is worthy of your calling as such. You're calling as a dearly loved child of God. When we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we're able to, when we, uh, we're able to rightly understand God's ordering in creation. We're, we're able to understand how God made us to submit to one another, that we're not the ultimate authority. Even though culture says, you're the ultimate authority in everything. When we look at verse 21, 21 we recognize that we're not. And look how we, we, we submit. We submit out of what? Reverence, which means adoration or respect for Jesus. When we look to Jesus, that's our beginning point of being able to submit to one another. Now, let me just say uh, w one more word and I'm gonna submit to Jen and let her, <laughs> let her uh, share, share some things. Um, submission, let's just name it, gets a bum rap in our culture. That word is a, tr is a trigger word for many of us because we've taken that word and we've made it uh, subservience uh, through conquering. Mm -hmm. And that's not what the word means. The word appears 40 different times in the New Testament. And what the word means in the Greek language that it was written in by Paul in the original autographs is bridled strength. It does not mean giving up your strength. It doesn't mean become lesser than who you are. No, it means bridling your strength for the sake of someone else. And it's mutual. And the model for this is Jesus we find submission even in the context of the Trinity. God in three persons, fully equal, fully God, and yet Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. 
In fact, if we go and look at Philippians chapter 2, which Paul wrote as well, he says that equality wasn't something that Jesus even tried to grasp, but instead he took on the form of a servant and made himself nothing so that he could serve other people. And this has everything to do with the context of marriage because Jesus is our model. Last thing, if you're looking for a great working definition of submission, write this down if, if, if you're looking for this. Submission equals permission. Submission equals permission. I'm bridling my strength for the sake of someone else. I'm giving someone else permission to speak into my life and to lead into my life. Permission or submission equals permission. And so what what Paul is saying here is we're giving permission to one another to speak into our lives, to lead one another. As we look to Jesus, our ultimate example of the one who gave the father permission over his life. Remember in the garden, Jesus says, if there's any other way, would you let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's submission. I'm I'm giving you permission, Father, to speak into my life. So good. Okay, so one of the illustrations that we brought with us is a triangle. And this was actually shown to us early on in uh, marriage counseling, which I love this because it visually describes exactly what you're saying here, Chris, that as we each take steps closer to Jesus and who he is and allowing him to make us all we're meant to be, the closer we come to him, the closer we ultimately come to one another. And so let's just jump in here to what Paul is saying in verses 22 through 24, specifically to the wives. I would like to point out that, ladies, we are only given three verses. Yeah. I'm just saying. So, but when when we live... When we live this out in the way that Paul is describing here, and we're going to talk through this, but what I communicate to Chris when I live in this way is that I believe in you. I believe in you. So like Chris has said, this is not an easy passage. And we, full disclosure, have not arrived. We are still figuring this out daily, sometimes minute by minute in our own relationship. And so like many of you, we're still learning and growing this out in our marriage. So in preparing for today, I really had just one primary thought that the Lord brought to me. Um, That as we look at this relationship of marriage that Paul is describing, the roles that he is describing, it all begins first and foremost for men and women in our surrender to Jesus. So when we surrender to Christ, we can, we can submit to one another. And I will be the first to say that I really have a hard time surrendering my own will. And it could be about silly things like what's for dinner or what Netflix show we watch or I have such a hard time surrendering my own will in my marriage, in my friendships, and sometimes even to Christ. The good news is that Chris never has to wonder what I'm thinking because I will let it be known. Um, <laughs> I love what uh, Tim Keller says um, here. He says, remember at the start of this chapter, he's referring to uh, Ephesians 5 here, remember that Paul is describing the spirit-filled life. And then he turns to that subject of marriage and he shows a tight connection between marriage and the life in the spirit. So the first picture of marriage given here is not of two needy people, unsure of their own value and purpose, finding their significance and meaning in one another's arms. If you add two vacuums to each other, you only get a bigger and stronger vacuum, a giant sucking sound. Rather, Paul assumes that each spouse 
already has settled the big questions of life, why they were made by God and who they are in Christ. Mm -hmm. You see, everything that Paul is describing here is rooted in the reader's understanding and living out the spirit-filled life, that exact spirit-filled life we've been studying all of these weeks. And so in order for me to cheer Chris on and to say, I believe in you and I trust you, I first need to be confident in who I am in Jesus and who he's made me to be. I have personally surrendered to God's best for my life. I look to him and to him alone for my worth and my value. Not to a popular voice in culture, not to my friends, not even to Chris, but to Jesus alone. My identity and my purpose is settled in Christ. I am a daughter of the king. I am his beloved child. I have value and purpose because he says I do, period. And so do each of you, his dearly beloved children. So his purpose for my life and for your life is to make him known, to make him great, to give glory to his name, to help people find him and follow him. And so in our marriage, I know that I'm not looking to Chris to answer who I am. He's not looking to me to answer who he is. That's already settled for us. Our relationship is really an affirmation of those truths. It's an affirmation of, Chris, I believe in you. I'm affirming the work of God in you. I'm affirming his purpose and identity that you have in him. So he's given me the sacred privilege of being Chris's wife, and it's one of the proudest titles I wear. And I wanna steward that privilege faithfully. I wanna cheer him on, but it all begins with where I am with Jesus and who I believe he says that I am. And the same is true for each one of us here. And maybe that's kind of your takeaway today is just recognizing who you are in Jesus. So I wanna challenge you, all of you, but ladies especially, what if you look to Jesus alone, not your BFF, not your mom, your sister, your spouse? What if you look to Jesus alone to find your value and your confidence? What if you look to him to find your identity and your purpose? What if you believed what he says about you? Yes. And then what if you affirmed that in your spouse? What might that look like? Final thought is this word submission. And I really have to say, I love the meaning of this word, this bridled strength. Chris knows I come into situations strong. Oftentimes he will say, Jen, just like calm down. I just talk loud. I, you know, shut cabinet doors loud. <laughs> so this idea, this idea of bridling my strength, the channeling my strength, and Paul chose this word very, very carefully. And what I love is that he's acknowledging that women come to the marriage relationship with strength. Yes. We come as a helper in the best sense of the word. There are things that Chris needs that can only be given from me. So we have value, we have esteem, and we have a role in our marriage. And ladies, it matters. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of bridled strength, the first picture I think of is a horse. And I love horses, deathly allergic. You will never find me on a horse, but I love them. 
And as we know, horses just have this phenomenal strength and it just blows my mind that we as humans can somehow you know, bridle that and harness it in some way. But ultimately, let's be honest, it's the horse that chooses to surrender that strength. So my submission, my bridled strength towards Chris, it definitely comes from this place of my deep love and respect for him, but it's much, much deeper than that. It comes from my love for Jesus. It comes from my love for Jesus. I choose to harness this strength because of Jesus alone. As much as Chris loves me, as much as he honors me, as much as he respects me, he doesn't get it right 100% of the time, and I don't either. But my bridal, bridal strength comes from a place of love and looking to Christ alone. See, Jesus modeled this perfectly. He was the perfect demonstration of submission. Sit here with me for just a second and think about this. If Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, no guilt, no shame, all holy, all powerful Jesus left his throne to come to a stable manger to die my sinner's death to take on my guilt and my shame, then how much more can I love and put others first? Submission, really, it starts for every single one of us in the moment that we say yes to Jesus. We're saying, I surrender to you, Jesus, and I want your best for my life. And so if Jesus can do all of those things, then I certainly can choose to bridle my strength and say, no, you first. And I can race to the back of the line. Yeah, and that's what marriage is. It's a race to the back of the line. It's saying, you first. Remember that lust always says, what can I get? But love always says, what can I give? And it's interesting in the passage uh, to husbands, and there is a lot more here for husbands. We need a lot more, right? A lot more instruction. Uh, Beginning in verse 25, uh, Paul uses a word. He doesn't say, husbands, lead. He doesn't say, rule. He doesn't say, control. He doesn't say, force. He says, love. Love. Listen, godly leadership, Christian leadership, always flows from love. It always flows from love. And the example is always Jesus and his love for us who came to give and not to get, to serve and to not be served. So my submission to Jen mutually with one another as we submit back and forth to each other, my model as a husband is Jesus. Let's just look at verse 25 in our remaining time. He says, husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? Jesus went to the cross for the church. Jesus withheld nothing in his love for the church. Jesus made himself, as Paul says in Philippians 2, in the form of nothing, a servant to serve the church. And this is the model for husbands. And so the moment that we kind of start getting powered up and bowed up and going, yeah, no, yeah, my, uh, this is the created order and, 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 and in my family, I'm, I, I rule the roost and blah, 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 blah. Did Jesus ever say that? Never. 
Jesus came and took the form of a servant. Even on his final night, what did he do? He took a towel and a basin and he began to wash dirty, stinky feet. And he said, I'm doing this as a model for you. So husbands, you should be the greatest servant in your home. Dishes, right? All of it, I'm serious. Yeah, I don't get it right all the time, but listen, getting, it, it, getting it, um, your hands dirty and serving your family. When you're out to eat, you should be the one getting up and getting napkins and ketchup from the Chick-fil-A container. You should be the one cleaning the table you, uh, because the world is watching that as well. And, in, and, and listen, I may step on some toes here, but and if, I, if I agitate you, I'm not trying to do that personally. I'm just, I'm trying to, to preach the scriptures here. And, and, and if I say something that, that's, that, that's not of God, I pray that you'll forget it quickly. But listen, culturally, the, the goal is that we would be equal with one another. And the reason is because guys have behaved so badly throughout history and, and made themselves to be greater than others in so many ways. Not all guys, but you know what I'm saying thematically. And so now there's a, there's a race to the front of the line and we gotta be equal with one another and we gotta show ourselves to be equal with one another. When we read the scriptures, we know we're equal with one another because we're created in the image of God. And it's the goal biblically is not just equality, it's that I'm the crown of God's creation and so are you, Jen. So my goal is not to be equal with one of you, my goal is to live in, in my sonship as a, as a son of the king and to know that and for you to do the same thing and to see who you are. And equality is the beginning point. It's so much better biblically. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to life and who you are and who God made you to be. You're a child of God. You're the crown of his creation. When God opens up his wallet, he's got a picture of you. That's your identity. That's who you are. And when we start there, I don't have to look to any other relationship to say, do I have value in meeting? Do I have purpose? No, I I can start with that in Jesus. And then specifically for guys here, for husbands, right? That we love our wives as Christ loved the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He gave himself up for her, period, full stop. So we submit to our wives. We, we bridle our strength for their benefit. We bridle our strength just as Jesus bridled his strength and submission to the the will of the Father to to present ourselves blameless and holy. Remember, this is a metaphor for the church. And Paul is saying that the marriage relationship becomes a living, vivid picture for all the world that God exists and that he desires this type of relationship with each and every person. It's a race to the back of the line. It's not saying me first and I've got to get to the front. I've got to be uh, first in all these things. No, it's not demanding. Final things here. Jesus never, again, he never demanded his followers to trust him. He didn't say, "I, I command you to trust me. I command you to follow after me. No, he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. And everyone made a choice to do that or not to do that, to continue to follow him or to turn away. And he just continued to invite people through his love, through his grace, through his submission to the will of the Father. Listen listen to this. Forced submission comes through conquering. 
And that's why this word has such a bad rap in our culture because that's how it's used, to force other people, to conquer other people. But the beginning place in Christianity biblically is to start with a towel and a basin washing dirty feet. I'm not trying to conquer anyone else because I serve a conquering king. Forced submission comes through conquering invited permission. Remember, submission equals permission in, in the biblical sense. Invited permission comes through serving. I, I'm inviting you to trust me. I'm showing myself to be trustworthy. And when I get it wrong, which I do a lot as a husband, and maybe you do too, I don't know. I say those words that are so hard for us to say, but so necessary. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and the gospel is ignited again, once again, over and over and over again in our hearts as we do that. I have borrowed, by the way, so, and Jen knows this, so much courage from Jen. And when, when, we, when we talk about mutual submission to one another and completing one another in this oneness in Christ, that, that Jen has things that I, I just don't have, attributes and characteristics that I, I, I just don't have that I, that I need. And there's been so many times I could, I could talk for hours about times where I've wanted to take the chicken exit so many times and I've borrowed bravery and strength from Jen and she's allowed me to, to have that. When we started our Matthews location, Jen can tell you this, we started a living room, we, mo- we moved to a little neighborhood clubhouse and we moved to this warehouse where we are um, uh, on, on uh, Monroe Road now for our Matthews location. And in one of those meetings we were going into it and I'm sitting in the car and, and everyone's in there waiting for the service to start. I'm in the car crying saying, I don't want to go in. I'm not sure I want to do this. And it was Jen's hand on my shoulder saying, listen, God's called you to do this and you can do it. And I'll go in there with you. Hmm. And over and over and over and over again, that's been repeated. And that's the gift that God desires for us as we mutually submit to one another and husbands specifically as we love our wives as Christ loved the church and we give ourselves up for them. Paul says again, he says, this is a mystery, but I want you to see here in the passage and go read it again for yourself. He quotes even the creation narrative. He goes back to Genesis and he says, this is how God created us. And he created uh, us to live a life together in love. And he says, this was the plan all along. Marriage was God's idea. God came up with it. And so he has an ordering and a design for it. And ultimately, if you don't remember anything else, I hope you'll remember this. The design for marriage is it's a race to the back of the line. It's, a, it's, it's practice for every other relationship that you're submitting yourself you're submitting yourself, not, um, not to other people per se, but to the will of the Father through other people in those relationships, just like Jesus did. Last thing, okay, last thing. If you're sitting here going, well, that was interesting and you know, uh, I'm not sure if that applies to me, let's go back to the application stuff. Uh, but I don't, I don't really, I mean, how, what, what, what difference does this really, really make? And I can't answer that completely, but here's what I wanna say as we close. That the Holy Spirit, I believe, will show you the difference that this makes in your life, just like he does for every passage of scripture. And part of what I, I hope he'll show you as we finish here today is that the marriage relationship is foundational for how God created his world and how societies are meant to operate. And, I, and listen, this is just absolutely what happens in the, in, in, the, in the biblical narrative. When sin and brokenness enter into the world, 
in Genesis chapter three, please don't miss this and it's not a mistake. When sin and brokenness enter into the world, they enter in through the context of marriage. That's how found, when the enemy comes against all of humanity and creation, mm-hmm. he comes first right to the heart of marriage. Yes. The enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He, he, he wants you to believe all of the lies that you have to enter into the marriage and it's, it's gotta be a battleground. And you've got to duke it out. And then after 40 years, maybe just for the photographer, you'll, you'll kiss, but there won't be any passion there. Because you spent 40 years battling and trying to be the best and trying to prove your worth instead of coming as God designs it and saying, this is a race to the back of the line. And this is practice for how God designed us to look to the Father, to look to the will of God and to submit to him and to model for the world, last thing here, and to model for the world, just as brokenness entered into humanity through the context of marriage, that marriage becomes this living, breathing example of what God wants with every single person in a relationship with him. And it's love and it's trust and it's grace and it's fidelity and it's exclusivity. It's a picture of what God wants with all of humanity. We want, to, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Um, again, no matter what your relationship status is here today, we want to pray for you that God would take his word and apply it just how he wants into your lives as we go today. Let's pray together. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you and we praise you just for who you are. God, that you see each and every one of us, that you know us by name. Father, that you have a great purpose and a plan for our lives. And God, I pray right now for each person in this room, those that are tuning in, God, that you would give us the courage and the confidence to live a life worthy of the calling that you have given us. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.